When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Don't Retire Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and today on the show, we have Tim Leffel. Tim is a writer on travel, and he's an author of a book called A Better Life for Half the Price. And I can't think of anything better than A Better Life at half the price. It's a guide on moving abroad to save money. He's going to talk a lot about his journey from the U.S. to Mexico, uh, and uh, and I can't wait to have him on the show. Tim, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Eric. This is going to be a lot of fun because uh, I think a lot of us, when we talk about retirement, um, first of all, we think about this this period of being idle, which is lousy. Um, it should certainly be something to look forward to and have fun with. But we also tend to think about where we're going to live. It's one of the big decisions that has to get made. So tell us a little bit about your story and your background and, and how you got into to being a travel writer and, and, and a book writer to begin with. Sure. Well, I used to work in the music business, and I lived in Nashville and New York City doing that. And that's, when I was in New York, I met my now wife and then girlfriend, and she wanted to go traveling around the world. And I said, well, you know, that's great, but I need a little time to prepare because I've got a condo, I've got a house, I mean, a, you know, a house payment, I've got a car, I've got, you know, this job I'm sort of locked into, you know, as most people tend to do. And, um, but the funny thing that transpired after that was, uh, I ended up losing my job and she got fired from hers and we said, well, if we were waiting for a sign, I think we just got it. So uh, we did end up going um, backpacking around the world and during that process of three years, it turned out, we taught English in uh, Istanbul, Turkey for a while and in Seoul, Korea. And I really liked that whole experience of living somewhere rather than passing through. I mean, we were traveling pretty slow anyway, but it was nice to just put down roots somewhere for a while. And so we wanted to have that experience later in life once we were you know, older and had a child. And so when our daughter was 10, we ended up moving to Mexico for a year and just to sort of try it out. And then we went back to the States for a while and then to Mexico again, sort of went back and forth because she was in school and that complicates things. But that's basically uh, the way it happened with us. We had looked at a few places and just settled in Mexico because we really liked the culture and the food and the proximity. It's just really easy to get back and forth between the U.S. if you want to see relatives or go to conferences, anything like that. Tim, I'm, I'm fascinated by this story because most of the people we talk to when they think about retirement, and we're in Maryland, everyone from, from Maryland goes directly to Naples, Florida. Um, just like everybody from New York goes to the east coast of Florida, they're all in, in, in Boca. Uh, and right. so, My sister-in-law and brother-in-law live there in Boca Raton, and there's this giant flood of New Yorkers. <laughs> absolutely. And, and in California, they go to, they go to the Phoenix area and, and, and Scottsdale and so forth. There's, there's like this migration that happens as New Yorkers and Californians get older and they start to go different places and they have the resources to do it. Because for those folks, Florida is half price compared to New York. So if Mexico is half price compared to Florida, 
this is starting to look like a pretty good deal. So um, how did you, how did you, um, I, I guess I want to start with how you handled education for your daughter. I have an 11 year old and we worry about moving cross town and having to change schools and you went completely uh, international. So how does that work? How do you navigate that as, as a dad? Well, if, if, I were really good at it and my wife was really good at it, we would probably have homeschooled her because that makes things a whole lot easier. You can sort of stay on the same curriculum and these days there's so many resources out there, but we didn't really have the patience or the desire to do that. So she went, uh, my daughter went to a local school here and the elementary school was actually a Waldorf school and that's an international chain. They're all over the place. Uh, so that was kind of easy because she had been to a Waldorf preschool when she was really young. And um, I personally don't feel like elementary school matters very much where you are in the world. I think, you know, you, your child's going to do fine and flourish um, no matter where you are. But once you start getting up higher, then it gets more complicated because then you start dealing with standardized tests and, you know, um, specific requirements for your state and all that kind of thing. So um, later she went to a private school for middle school in, in Mexico and um I say private, but it was not expensive. It was $300 a month. So, you know, put, put that all in perspective. <laughs> yeah. $300 a month sounds like a pretty good deal. I, I think I'm paying that daily for private school here in the States. So that sounds pretty good. Now, now what about, what about as, uh, as your daughter got into high school and was thinking about college or the next phase of her life, what did that look like? Yeah, so she did middle school here in uh, Mexico, and then we went back for her last three years of education for high school. And we felt that was kind of important, partly because the academics start getting more difficult and their standardized tests. And she actually had to take one class online in, uh, for English uh, through the Florida school system where we were living while she was in Mexico, just to be current with her requirements. But we went back so she could finish high school and get a U.S. diploma because we felt like that was important for moving on to college and that kind of thing. So she uh, went off to college after that and uh, was fine, but she's bilingual, so that helps probably with her job hunting and that kind of thing. No question. So, so you're empty-nested now. It's just you and your wife? Yeah, we are, and we had grand plans last year to go – spend three months here, three months there, you know, in some other spots around the world. But uh, that obviously didn't work out. And we were uh, sheltered in place in, in Guanajuato, Mexico. But that's okay, because this is a, a beautiful place. And at least it was something that felt a little exotic. So for, for our listeners who are um, trying to figure out, first of all, we're all trying to figure out what we want to be when we grow up. Uh, and it sounds like it sounds like you've done some of the some of the reinventions of that in ways that most of us only dream of because most of us don't take that kind of quantum leap. Most of us uh, barely leave the zip code, much less our home state, much less our country in, in the way that you did. But um, for folks who are thinking about where they want to where they want to go when they um, aren't potentially tied to a job or aren't um, feeling like they don't want to leave their aging parents or they don't want to have their you know middle or high school kids um, sort of being jostled around in that way, um, what is the first step? How do you broaden your horizons that way to even begin to think about this? Forget the finances. We'll get there. The math is already compelling. Um, but in terms of the logistics, how, how, do you, how do you get there? Is that, a, is that an, an innate thing or did you have to really push yourself? No, I mean, you do have to make some changes in your life. I mean, 
you talked about aging parents and that's something that you can't really do much about. That's a, a chain, if you will, that's sort of there, um, whether you want it or not. But a lot of chains people create for themselves, you know, they get a really high mortgage, they get two car payments, um, you know, and on and on it goes. And, um, you know, school can be or can't be, it just depends. I mean, some people are homeschooling anyway, so it's no big deal to just change location. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're going to look at doing this five, 10, 15 years down the road, then you got to start figuring out how to extract yourself from those things things that are tying you to a specific place. The good news is a lot of people's jobs are not tying them to a specific place like they used to be. That's the one silver lining that sort of came out of this uh, pandemic we've been going through is that a lot of companies realized, um, oh, people are actually getting the same amount done or maybe more <laughs> from right, working remotely. Right. And so uh, a lot of people have um, that thing that's been tying them down uh, removed, at least if they have some kind of office job. It doesn't help you if you're a fireman or a teacher or something that's physical, but a lot of jobs are not physical these days and you can just take it with you. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of good to say, okay, if I'm going to retire at age uh, 65, that's, you know, 15 years from now, let's say, um, how's my life going to be able to get me to where I want to go? So, you know, maybe you're going to make plans to sell that house and, you know, put your things in storage or start getting rid of some things and whatever. But the second part of that is you need to really get out there a little bit and travel and, and experience places. And that doesn't mean just going to an all-inclusive resort for a week and drinking cocktails by the pool, because that's not going to tell you much about what it's like to live somewhere. <laughs> so um, ideally, do a little exploration. And if, if someplace looks intriguing to you on paper, um, go there and check it out and see see how it works out and how 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 well it speaks to you, I guess, is the the heart sort of equation. Like, how much does this place really grab you? Or is it someplace you can't ever picture yourself living? When we work with clients, one of the things we ask is what are the what are the the goals and objectives that you have that are not uh, quantitative that are not financial what are the things you want to make sure um, we capture in any planning that we do together and um, when people think about retirement they tend to think about a couple of things in common and the first one is a desire to travel it's amazing how often that comes up and and how frequently it's the first thing that people mention is we want to travel more and, uh, you know, for people who aren't world travelers, suddenly taking a trip like that is, um, is not an easy thing necessarily to do without the right help. And if you start hiring travel agents and you're, you're going to five-star resorts, it's also not a bargain. So um, what kind of what writing are you doing or what kind of resources do you have that can help people figure out how to do more of that? Because I can't think of too many people who are pre-retired or have been empty nested. I can't think of very many people who don't say, oh, we want to travel more. We want to see the world. Right. And I, I think that's traditionally been the American path is uh, at least, you know, my generation and older, uh, you, you had this idea that you would work a full life until you got to 65 and then you got to do the fun things like traveling. Um, I sort of turned that on its head and did the traveling while I was still in my twenties uh, and thirties and, um, and then never stopped basically. Cause I, I don't know. I feel like, uh, you saw you see all these stats that people don't even take the vacation time they have it's really appalling like they've got three or four weeks sitting there in their vacation bank and they still haven't used it um as far as the uh 
you know, pricing part of it, uh, a lot of that depends on destination. And if you go to a place that's not so expensive to start with, then you're not going to blow through as much money. But also, there are tour companies out there that specialize in sort of um, sustainable, small group, uh, on the ground kind of travel. So they're not staying in five star hotels, they're staying in, you know, clean, nice places that have some character, but they're not so expensive. So you can go on tours for two or three thousand dollars that are going to let you see a lot of a country and really um, get some great experiences with a guide whether that's you know touring around in a, a van or whether it's a cycling you know a biking trip or it's a hiking trip or whatever um, but also I mean it's not that difficult now to just go somewhere and have your hotels booked and um, just you know book local tours once you get there and things like that I mean I started traveling in the mid 90s when there was no internet and um, things were a lot more difficult. I mean, these days you can set up almost everything you want to do um, before you even leave if you so desire. I don't think that's a great idea, but you can do it if you want, if you want that comfort. So um, I would encourage people to just uh, do some research ahead of time. You know, what kind of places do you really like? Do you like beaches? Do you like mountains? Do you want to be by a lake? And and just sort of start narrowing down your options and then... Um, pull up Google Flights or Skyscanner or Kayak or whatever and just start checking uh, where you can go and find some good deals out there. I mean, there's millions of people traveling internationally in normal times in any given month and they figure out how to make it work. No doubt. So, so let's talk about, let's talk about your book, um, a better life for half the price. Um, great concept, great idea. What are, what are some of the ahas? What are some of the takeaways? Why should folks pick this book up now and, and, and start to, to get through it? Well, first of all, if you look at the reviews, one thing that comes out a lot is this is a very honest book. I put the pros and cons at the beginning of every country chapter. And I interviewed uh, more than 80 people for this book. So it's not just my experiences. It's expats living in countries around the world giving their take, their their honest take on how it's gone for them and, um, you know, what are the good sides and the bad sides. And then there's a lot of just general advice uh, in there, including one chapter, uh, is this life right for you? Because it's not necessarily for everyone. Some people have a super strong sense of community where they live and they're, they've been there their whole life and, you know, everything revolves about around that place and they just can't imagine leaving it. Um, so it's not necessarily something that is right for a hundred percent of people out there, but for a lot of people it is. And this will sort of guide you through the thought process, help you start figuring out where you would like to go, what, what the ideal places would be like, and just some of the, uh, nitty gritty things you have to think about before you go like banking and taxes and, uh, what you're going to do with your stuff <laughs> and your mailing yeah. address, all, all that kind of thing. I mean, those things aren't that daunting, but you do have to address them. It's a checklist basically of, you know, I got to get through this. I got to get through that, and then I'll be ready. I, I, it's great. We've we've represented a number, and, and still do represent a number of families who are either um, who are either partly uh, in the U.S. and partly outside, or who are truly expats but have maintained their citizenship. Um, and it is complicated. There are some some challenges from a banking standpoint. Certain things that that can't be e signed, and, and and those kinds of things. But for the most part. For the most part, it's pretty seamless. Now, taxes do get more complicated, and so does estate planning. Um, it, it's amazing. Um, as much as we complain about the way that estate taxes work in the U.S., and I assure you, we complain a lot, um, the reality is in a lot of places, particularly in Europe, it's a lot worse. 
it's not a good place to to die and i that that sounds flip but the reality is get on a flight and get back here because it's actually better here than it is in a lot of places in europe i have no idea about the rest of the world do you have any insight on the the tax differences and the things that um sort of the gotchas that we have to look out for well, there's a couple, uh, once again, pros and cons. I mean, you can actually end up paying less taxes when you live abroad, um, depending on how it works out. Because, I mean, I run a business, and I um, I haven't done this lately, but you can shield um, eighty or $90,000 of your income um, if you're paying taxes in another country. In other words, you're not going to get double taxed in most places. So... Um, there can be a tax advantage to moving abroad, but you're right. It gets really tricky with the state planning, and, and we have two wills. We have a U.S. will and a Mexican will, and um, all our banking's still in the U.S., and that's really what I advise for most people because um, – in most cases, there's not much of an advantage to having a local bank account. It just makes your taxes more complicated. So we just pull money out of an ATM. And when we've bought real estate, there's been a wire transfer. And um, that's really it. And so uh, for us, all our assets, most of our assets are still in the United States. The one asset we have here is a home that we own free and clear. So that's the main thing we have to worry about with the will. Um, but yeah, I would say for most people, it's going to be better if you can keep your things in the U.S. Unless you're at a level that you've got, you know, offshore money you're trying to put into trusts and all that kind of thing. Um, that's a whole different story. But if you're a person of normal means, you're probably better off just uh, taking the easy route and leaving your assets in your U.S. brokerage accounts and bank accounts. Now, I've heard um, stories anecdotally that um, there are some places in the world where non-citizens are not allowed to buy property. Is that something you've run into and, and seen, or is that is that um, propaganda, or, or what is that? No, it's it's true in a fair number of countries. It's a, There's two parts of that. You're usually allowed to buy a condo pretty much anywhere, um, but you're not necessarily allowed to buy land, and that's usually just comes some kind of nationalistic thing where they don't want foreigners coming in and, you know, buying up half the country. Um, other times it's specific areas in Mexico. If you buy something on the water, if you buy a beach house, you technically don't own the land under it. You have a, a 99 year lease. Um, it's like 50 years and then you, you can renew it for 49 and you're paying a bank fee. For most people, this doesn't matter because they're not going to keep the place that long anyway. You know, it's not like they're trying to have this for the next three generations. It's a beach house, you know, for retirement. Right. And they're right. eventually going to sell it or their kids are going to inherit it and do what they want with it. But when you sell the place, the, the whole thing starts over again. So the next person has the same option. Um, but once you get inland, that doesn't apply anymore. So you can buy, you know... 10 acres if you want and uh, in the middle of the country and it's fine it's just if you're near the near the ocean and again that's a, a something to just keep the foreigners from buying up all the beachfront is what they've done you know and so they want to they want to have some protection in there so you know it just depends on the country a lot of countries you can buy anything you want free and clear and there's it's there's no problem there's no restriction but there are countries including in asia like uh, cambodia and thailand and a few others that i featured in my book uh, a foreigner cannot buy property you have to buy it through a local partnership which carries its own risks of course um, even if it's a spouse like if you buy a house in bali Indonesia with a spouse who's Indonesian um, and you guys split up, she's going to have it. 
And so, or he, it could go the other direction. Uh, you right. could have a, a male Indonesian spouse and he will own the property if you, uh, if you break up and divorce and whatever. So yeah, you got to be aware of that. So a lot of cases it's easier just to buy a condo than it is to try to buy a house. And, and would you suggest in general that if you're looking for a second home, uh, outside of the U.S. that you pay cash for that? Or is it is financing still available through your U.S. bank relationships for uh, international real estate that you're going to use for personal use? Have you run into any of that or you just pay cash? It, it's usually not, but there's an easy workaround. People will often take out a home equity loan, a second mortgage uh, on their house in the U.S. or Canada, and then they'll go use that cash to go buy something abroad because um, – I mean, you can find something. Let's just give an example for two hundred thousand in Mexico, and it'll be a really nice place. And so, you, a lot of people can easily just pull two hundred thousand of equity out of their home in the U.S. and just spend that elsewhere. But what happens more often is someone is downsizing, or they're, you know, they've got a family house that's five bedrooms that the kids lived in and they're not there anymore and they just don't need this huge place. So they sell it and they use the proceeds from that to buy something with cash. And the reason is there's a cultural reason for that. It's just how people buy property more often in these developing countries, but also the, you're not going to get anywhere close to the interest rates you're going to get in the U S um, in any case, but especially not right now where they're so low. So you could end up paying eight, nine, 10% and it could be some kind of balloon mortgage. So it's just not very attractive. <laughs> so you're just better off paying cash. <laughs> Got it. So, so I'm, I'm going to ask you a loaded question because it sounds like you've done, um, you've done a lot of living for some, for, for somebody and been a lot of places and, and all of that. Um, what do you want to be when you grow up, Tim? <laughs> I'm doing what I wanted to do. Uh, I didn't know that at first. I had a, a couple corporate jobs along the way, but I started travel writing part-time in the mid-90s when I started backpacking around. So I've been doing this for a long time. But I got to say, I, I have not really been thinking about retirement because um, I, I look forward to sitting down and doing my job on Monday mornings. I don't, I don't ever dread it. So I think that's a beautiful thing if you're, I mean, like you said, a lot of people say I want to travel more when I, uh, when I retire. Well, I'm already traveling as much as I want and it's, it's my, how I get paid. So for me, there's no um, real reason except maybe I'd like to slow down a little bit and work fewer hours when I get older. But um, this is not a physical job like toiling out in the lettuce fields where you're just uh, really worn out and you need to retire. <laughs> sure, absolutely. So we're, we're, we're at the point in our show where I, I need to ask you for an extra credit assignment. And we, we've, we've talked about so many different things, and I'm fascinated by this. And in fact, you know, broadening my horizons felt like Delaware, okay? So, you know, this is a whole big expansion of vision for me personally is to think about, my gosh, is there a is there a, a house in some other sunny, beachy place in my future? Um, what would the what would the one takeaway be? What would the extra credit assignment be for someone listening who goes, hey, I didn't even this wasn't even in my my roundhouse. Uh, I got to know more. Well, if you go to my blog, which is called 
um, cheapestdestinationsblog.com. That's where I write every week. Uh, there's a lot of information on there about living abroad, but there's a newsletter sign up. Um, if you click in the navigation, Cheap Living Abroad, there's a monthly newsletter I send out that will just kind of give you a taste of, of this life and what it's like and point to some blog posts and that kind of thing. So that's a nice place to start. And you can get a uh, report when you sign up there, which is um, all the countries in the world that you can live for four months or more on a tourist visa. And the advantage of that is you don't have to get residency. You can just come in and try a place out and see if you like it or not. Some of them will actually let you stay for a whole year as a tourist. Uh, Mexico lets you stay six months, which is pretty sweet. So there's a lot of snowbirds who come down here for six months a year, and then they go back to uh, Michigan or Toronto or wherever for the other six months. And um, so that's another thing to think about. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You know, some people kind of keep a foot in both places. <laughs> so so uh, I, I'm going to encourage all of our listeners to go to cheapestdestinationsblog.com and check that out. I'm going to check it out myself. And, and um, I, I assume that's something that one can subscribe to so that every week they're getting new content from you if that's uh, of interest to them. Yeah, yeah. And then... Um yeah, and, and it will um, point them to different articles that could be interesting for uh, just you know, someone to, that's not there yet, but just thinking about uh, the possibilities in the future. Got it. And where can folks find your book? That is on Amazon in a um, paperback and an audio book, if you like that. But if you want to get an ebook, I sell that directly so I can throw in some other goodies. And that's at cheaplivingabroad.com cheaplivingabroad.com. Tim, this has been great. I, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us. You have opened my eyes to a much bigger world than the, uh, than the, the small places in Maryland that I've been thinking about. So I, I thank you for joining us today. Sure. Thanks for having me on. And uh, it was good talking with you. For all our listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of Don't Retire, Graduate. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and post comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts or other download sites. Don't Retire Graduate is a book available in print, Kindle, and audio formats, and it's now a workbook with all the steps you need to build your own financial freedom plan. For more, go to BrotmanMedia.com or buy your copy and leave us a review on Amazon. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward... Let us begin visualizing our dreams and building our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at don'tretiregraduate.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transformed where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.